Lord, we just want to glorify you in everything that we do. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as brothers and sisters. Um, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to honor our mothers, Lord, whether they're here with us in person or with you, Lord. Um, we just want to thank you for giving them to us to train, help train us up in the way that we should go. Lord, we ask that you bless this time together as we get into your word, that you move in power, Lord, that your word move in power, that it pierces our hearts, Lord, that it moves us into repentance and obedience, Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your loving kindness. We ask that you bless this time as we gather. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sure. Uh, so we are in 2 Kings chapter 22. Uh, we are going to be talking about Josiah, which is a pretty good chapter. Pretty good story. Um, so we'll start in verse 1. Here we go. Now Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Uh, there are a couple things in these first two verses that really stood out. The first is uh, his age. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, um, which is actually the second youngest king, the first being Jehoash at uh, seven years old. But he was a very young King, I mean, I know a couple of years old that I wouldn't really trust with many things, let alone a kingdom. Um, but the other more important thing really is verse 2. It says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Um, this is a far... Uh, con uh, contrast, sorry. My mind went blank. This is a contrast really to all the other kings that came before him, a lot of the other kings. Um, we can even look at some of their summaries and kind of see what they say about those kings. For example, in 1 Kings 16.30 about Ahab, uh, it says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, 2 Kings 10.29 says, But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. That is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And then we also have 2 Kings 21.2. And he, Manasseh, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And these are just three of the kings. There are so many more that are described in the exact same way that they followed the patterns of the kings before them, that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But here we see Josiah is different. He is set apart. It says, again in verse 2, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So even though Josiah's father, even though Josiah's grandfather Manasseh, and everybody that he knew as a king, was evil. Josiah was not. Um, and th that is a huge difference. And we'll see kind of the result of those things. So we'll go in verse 3. In the 18th year of King Josiah. Sorry, I lost my place. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son 
of Azaliah, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand, because they deal faithfully. And that last phrase stood out to me. Um, because they deal faithfully, what a wonderful reputation to have um, that people trust you so much that they just say, yeah, don't worry about that person. They deal faithfully. You can trust them. But what stands out, the bigger thing that stands out to me in this part of the passage is the fact that Josiah is repairing the temple. Um, it says in the 18th year of his reign, which 18 plus 8 is 26. Um, so at 26 year old, he begins repairing the temple of the Lord. And it kind of seems like it jumped a pretty major timeline. But if we look at Second Chronicles 34.3, we can see kind of some more of the uh, meat of the story. It says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So when he was 16, he began to seek the, the Lord. And in the twelfth year, when he was 20... He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So we see that when, even when he's young, Josiah, at the age of 16, he begins seeking the Lord. And then at 20, he begins purging the land of these high places, of these images. So really, it's just a natural progression that he wants to repair the house of the Lord, that he wants to restore it. And in verse 8, we continue, it says, Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And obviously, if it was lost, that means, if it was found, that means it had been lost. Um, and in verse 9, it says, So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house. And have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So here Shaphan is telling Josiah that they're doing what Josiah had told them to do. Um, he's giving a report of what they had done. And then he says, by the way, Hilkiah the priest gave me this book. And he begins to read it. And verse 11 says, now it happened... When the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Now, Josiah's response to hearing the word of the Lord is immediate. His response is pretty drastic. But that's because God's word has power. It is powerful. And really, Josiah responds appropriately. You know, it's easy to read the Bible and sometimes be offended by what it says, or that because it's, that's because our thoughts or ideas are our biases. But... That's a good thing. Be offended. You know, it says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
So let the word of God move you to repentance like it did with Josiah. Let it move you to obedience. Josiah's tearing of his soul really is just a shadow of a representation of this, um, how do I describe it? This piercing even to the division of the soul. And it continues in verse 12. Uh, in verse 12, I totally lost my place. Oh, then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that it is written. Now, Josiah's response is a good one to follow. He doesn't gather his men to say, hey, let's try to figure out a way out of this wrath. You know, let's uh, try to do something else. Um, Instead, he says, he gathers his men and says, go inquire of the Lord. He doesn't depend on himself to try to figure things out. Rather, he goes to the source. He goes to God. Um, and it continues in verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to hold of the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But... As for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought word back to the king. Now, while Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, he sought the Lord when he was young. He began purging the land of these idols. He restored the house of the Lord. And really, he was repentant, and he was you saw that his heart was penitent. Even though he was doing all the right things, the Lord still planned on pouring out his wrath on the people because that's what he promised. And the Lord kept his promises. But something beautiful that we see in this passage is the fact that God even responds to Josiah. You know, he could have just kept silent. He could have had Josiah reach out and not say anything back. Uh, But in verse 19, he says, you heard how I spoke. I also have heard you. And we know that God listens. But what's interesting is that Josiah now knows that wrath is still coming. That wrath is going to come upon the land. 
And I have to wonder how would I have responded. I have no idea in this time how I would have responded. Um, he knew that judgment was coming. Uh, he knows that there's nothing he can do to save the land because he knows God is going to fulfill what he said he's going to fulfill. Um, and that's such a strong parallel to today where we know there's a judgment coming on the entire world. We know that there's a time when all will be judged. And how will we respond to that? How will we respond knowing that maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe in our grandchildren's lifetime, we don't know, but we know that the Lord's coming back. And how are we to respond to that? Now let's take a look at how Josiah responds in chapter 23. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenants, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Um, then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for this covenant. Now, knowing this wrath to come, Josiah decides to make a covenant. So he doesn't become melodramatic. He knows that there's wrath coming, but he responds well in making a covenant with the Lord according to the book. Um, And in fact, it says he made this covenant to keep the commandments with all of his heart and with all of his soul. So we see him using his influence to make some major changes in his world. And it's important that we remember that we too have circles of influence in our lives, whether that be in our families. um, Maybe you don't have a kingdom like Josiah, but again, you have a family, you have friends, you have workplaces. We all have circles of influence. And there's not, honestly, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about this. Uh, As Katie and I start our journey as parents, we have a nine-month-old. This is something that I think of daily How am I influencing my daughter to grow in the Lord? Um, How am I influencing my daughter to grow in a healthy way, in a way that she's going to pursue after God and love him wholeheartedly? And so I think it's important that that's just something we ask ourselves every day of the people that we influence, Um, whether it's your child or maybe it's your own parents or brothers or sisters or friends or family. Um, How are you using your influence to change others, to push others to the Lord and to follow him? Continuing verse 4, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priest of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron, and carried their their ashes to Bethel. Now, Josiah's response in cleaning up the land is a good analogy for how we um, can transform our own lives. Here he starts with a temple. Uh, He begins cleaning out the temple of all 
the articles that were made for these gods. And in the same way, it's important that we clean out our own lives. Um, Maybe we've created high places in our own lives and are worshiping gods, uh, whether that be greed or lust or power, whatever it is, um, it's so easy for us to create those things in our own hearts. And it's important that we start with ourselves before we start trying to exert influence on the world, before we start trying to push others to the Lord, we have to make sure that we ourselves are right. Um, Matthew 5, 7 says this perfectly. It says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly, oh, that wasn't Matthew, that was my bad. (laughs) And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Um, Just that we need to be able to uh, know that we are right with the Lord and that we are pursuing that relationship before we start telling others to do, or trying to influence others to do the same. And it says in verse 6, And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron, and ground it to ashes, and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted por- persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. Verse 8, And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also he broke down the high places at the gates which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. Now, here is another, there's a couple other examples. So if we go back to verse 5, it says, Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. Um, so here we see that Josiah is removing these priests that are leading his people astray. Uh, likewise, when we are in the process of uh, becoming right with the Lord and renewing our own lives, um, there are times when we see that there are people in our lives leading us astray, and it might become necessary to remove them out of your own life. Um, and while you might be trying to evangelize them, if they are Willfully leading you to sin, it might be time to review that relationship. Another thing that we can learn from Josiah is the fact that he defiles the high places. So what this means is that he's bearing bones or burning bones in these places, and it makes them unclean and unusable for worship to these gods. What he's doing, he's removing the accessibility of these high places to the people. Where So if he were to just pull the priests out and say, okay, don't come back, They can just come back and worship. Um, But if he burns bones and makes it defiled, uh, the people can't come back to that place to worship the gods. He's made it unusable. And in the same way in our own lives, it's easy to leave those doors to sin open. You know, whether by ignoring it or by forgetting about it, um, we might leave a path to sin um, open in our own lives. It could be a place that you visit. It could be a person that you call. It could be websites that you browse or your phone. Whatever it is, follow Josiah's example and 
just make it as difficult as possible to make that accessible. Just remove that avenue of approach from your life. Um, whether you make yourself accountable to other people. I know some guys that will put software on their phones if they're dealing with pornography and they have people keep them accountable or they have uh, software that filters what websites they can even go to. Um, but they're actively trying to stop those avenues to sin, to make it easy for them to sin. In verse 11 it says, Then... Josiah removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kedron. So Manasseh, again, that's his father-in-law. So we see that Josiah isn't stopping this purging of the land with family ties. Um, he understands how important it is to remove these altars, to remove these high places. And it doesn't matter if his grandfather built it or his father built it. Um, it's evil. And, it's, and Josiah understands how important it is to just remove it from, this, from the land for the people. And it says, and the, Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Shemesh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. So this, these are um, altars which Solomon had built in his time. Uh, he had built them for his pagan wives uh, because they worship pagan gods. And again, this is a great example of sometimes removing people that will lead you to sin. Uh, and you might just be building altars in high places right alongside them if you're not careful. It says in 14 that he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their bones with, and filled their places with the bones of men. Again, this is defiling. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place, which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder. And burned the wooden image. Now, what's interesting here is that Bethel is outside of uh, Josiah's kingdom. Um, and while it's outside of his kingdom, he understands the importance of going and destroying these high places. So he goes and he continues his purge up north, even though it's outside of his um, immediate kingdom. And he's... The borders aren't stopping him. This is how important it is for him. Uh, this altar, it says, was built by Jeroboam, which was 300 years before Josiah. This was actually built by Jeroboam when Jeroboam split the kingdoms into the northern and southern kingdoms. Um, so these altars have been around for quite a long time. Uh, and it says in verse uh, 16 that as Josiah turned... He saw the tombs that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs 
and burned them all in the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. So Josiah doing these things is really a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, the prophecy that happened 300 years before. We can see in 1 Kings 13, verses 1 and 2. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you." So we see that Josiah is named in this prophecy 300 years beforehand. This doesn't happen often, but they use his name, and we see him fulfilling this prophecy now, uh, destroying this altar that Jeroboam had built. So we continue in verse 17. Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah, and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. So these are the bones of the man who um, prophesied 300 years before in a, that we saw in First Kings. Uh Verse 21, then the king, oh, sorry, verse 19. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all of the high priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them. And then he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. So here, Josiah is... Uh, commanding people to hold the Passover again, um, to celebrate the Passover. Uh, if you don't know, remember the Passover or don't know the Passover, um, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, this was the last miracle that God performed before they were released. Um, they took the blood of the lamb and with a hyssop branch uh, put it blood over their doorposts. So that as the angel passed by in the night, if the angel saw that there was blood on this doorpost, the angel would pass over the house. And if there was no blood on, on the door, uh, the angel would enter the house and kill the firstborn son. And this is really a beautiful picture because Josiah is reinstating the Passover in a time when he knows wrath is coming down the pike. Um, and he's telling them to remember that they are sheltered under the blood. And this is a great reminder today because as we see um, 
evil in this land as we see so many dark things. It's important that we remember that we are sheltered under the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross for us. And verse 24 says, Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, with which his anger was aroused against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. And so now we're, we come to the end of Josiah's reign. It says in verse 28, Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. So here, King Necho, um, in this time, Babylon is rising to power. And so King Necho is going to uh, make an alliance with the Syrians. And Josiah decides to go out and meet him uh, to try to defeat the Pharaoh of Egypt. And unfortunately, at this time, Pharaoh defeats Josiah and he dies. Uh, you can read more about that in, in Second uh, Chronicles 35. Um, but this is where Josiah meets his end. And we see that the Lord kept his promise that Josiah does not see the wrath that is poured out on the land. But we do see that Josiah's son is now in control. And it says in verse 31, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatel, the daughter of Jeremiah Alibna, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So while Josiah's summary of his reign was that he did good in the sight of the Lord, or he walked with the Lord, uh, Jehoahaz's is the exact opposite. It says, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. And uh, we're going to see this continued on with the rest of the kings. Um, as it says, there were none other like Josiah. Uh, so, uh, 33. Um, now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. So Necho imprisons Jehoahaz, and he posed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah. 
and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. So the Pharaoh now, now that Josiah's gone, he's taking advantage of that there's evil men now in place. He um, arrests his, uh, Jehoahaz, and he sends him to Egypt, and he instates his brother. Um, and we also see that his brother is, we'll see at the end that his brother is just as bad. It says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So in verse 36, it says, oh, th- verse 35, So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebudah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Again, as beautiful as his father's description, um, as Josiah's description was in that he did um, what was good, he walked with the Lord, we see another one of his sons, it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we see his sons really descend back into the evil that so many of the kings had fallen into. So as we close with Josiah, we just, it's, a, it's good that we can see his example of what he's done in using his influence to affect those around him, in um, making it a priority to clean out the temple, to remove the altars, in purifying the land and removing the high places, in removing the people that led the people astray, removing the priests that led the people astray, in removing the accessibility to um, the altars, the accessibility to sin. And it's important that we remember all those things as we go forward, um, that we too can be renewed, that we too can be changed and transformed. And maybe you're dealing with some worship in your life of things other than the Lord. Uh, maybe you've built some high places, some altars in your heart that you need to deal with. I would implore you to let the word of God move you into repentance, to move you into obedience, um, to move you into conviction. If you're in that place, I encourage you to come and pray with us, myself or Dave, after the service, and, and, and uh, deal with those high places. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we ask that you give us a heart like Josiah's, that you give us a heart that is moved to repentance, Lord, a heart that is moved to obedience of your word. We ask that whatever struggles we have in our lives, whatever issues we may be dealing with, Lord, that we can bring them before you, that we know that you are faithful to respond, Lord, that as we seek, we will find, and as we knock, the door will be opened. So, Lord, give us conviction like Josiah. Give us a heart like Josiah to remove those places in our lives and to chase after you, Lord, and to encourage others to do the same. Lord, we love you, and we bring all these things before you. In your name we pray. Amen.